Support for the following podcast comes from Mental Health Sunday. Everything you need to host an invitational Sunday experience on mental health and faith. Hope Made Strong, along with 10 mission-minded partners, have created digital resources that include research notes, sermon ideas, social and marketing assets, and a seven-day devotional. Plus, there are community invitations, congregant giveaways, and editable digital files. To download the free resource, go to mentalhealthsunday.com. Mental health is health. It's not some separated thing. You know, it's like your brain is not in. A lot of folks don't realize that the uh, chemicals in your gut have a greater influence on your mood uh, then those in your head often. So those gut chemicals altered mood also. And so it's not just your gut, it's your gut, it's your head, it's all those different chemicals that influence mood and behavior. And so if we treat people as whole persons and not segmented people, you know, like this is, this is who you are, which is why person first language is so important. I'm not bipolar, I'm not schizophrenic, I'm not depressed. I live with these illnesses, but they don't define who I am. From Hope Made Strong, this is the Care Ministry Podcast, a show about equipping ministry leaders and transforming communities through care. Supporting those in your church and community not only changes individuals' lives, but it grows and strengthens the church. But we want to do that without burning out. So listen in as we learn about tools, strategies, and resources that will equip you and your team and strengthen hope. I'm Laura Howe and welcome to the Care Ministry Podcast. On the show today, we are talking all about the value of companionship with Reverend Jermaine Alberti, Executive Director of Pathways to Promise. With wait lists for clinical supports getting longer and longer, more and more people are looking to the church for support. Pathways to Promise is a resource center that offers faith communities tools, training, and assessments to become a church that welcomes those who struggle with mental health. Jermaine and I have passions that align. We both love to equip people with tools, resources, and strategies to support mental health. And while the Companion program has been around for years, Pathways has revitalized the training and it's becoming a movement. Companionship is a response to social isolation and the loneliness that is consuming our world. Companionship is rooted in our natural capacities as human beings to be sensitive, compassionate, and concerned for other people. The goal of the companionship movement is to provide communities and churches with the tools to listen to stories and and the difficulties of others and to encourage and strengthen them for the journey ahead. Jermaine shares that he has seen firsthand the pain and loneliness of family members and friends who've experienced mental health and substance use challenges. They needed someone to come alongside them and walk with them on their journey of healing and recovery. Jermaine was born and raised in Kansas City and is the oldest of 12 siblings. Growing up in a city and having a large family sounds like the beginning of a movie that would involve a kid running away from home or getting caught up with the rough crowd. But instead, Jermaine's natural caretaker skills kicked in and he became a leader within his family and community. Jermaine's mentor saw a natural leader in him and often spoke greatness over him. One of my mentors, um, Rosemary Davis Kelly, um, she would send me thick packets of stuff to read. I mean, like thick packets, like binders full of stuff to read. Wow. 
And she's like, you have to read. And so, uh, and then she, and then we volunteered at, and with soup kitchens. And I met Reverend Jesse Jackson by way of Rosemary Kelly because he was running for president in the, in, and so he was there doing a rally. And so we were there and I met him, met him surprisingly enough in a restroom. <laughs> Awkward. Uh, and uh, like Reverend Jackson, hi. <laughs> but I was, I was a teenager, you know, and, uh, but yeah, he was there. And uh, so, you know, it was just mentors like her and others who just saw in me um, what at that time as a young tender teenager didn't see within myself, but I've always been told that uh, I've been here before. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, like you have been here before, like the, at a young age, the wisdom and things that I had um, was something that I believe was divinely given to me. I believe that gifts are giving, gifts are given to us, but skills are learned. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, uh, we know that the scripture says gifts and callings are without repentance. So it's like, there are these callings and these giftings that we have that we have no choice in the matter. It's just there. And mm-hmm. how you use it is the question. Mm-hmm. And so um, I, um, yeah, I, I, you know, I didn't know how impactful mental health would be uh, in my world, but over the past 17 years, if I didn't have my training uh, in mental health, um, I, I don't think I would be as equipped to do it. I went mm-hmm. to school, uh, initially I majored in education. Uh, I went to K-State, Kansas State University back in 1993, 94, seems like a very long time ago. <laughs> uh, and my major was education. Um, and, um, then I, um, came back home and once I came back home at about um must have been about 19 18 19 18 18 19 18 probably 19 when I came back home to Kansas City uh and then I got married at um 20 years old mm. no 20 I was 20 going on 21 years old I got married in 1996 so I just turned I just turned 20 in in 95 so I was about to turn 21 that year and schooling kind of got put off because when you get married, you know, <laughs> life happens. And so I went back to school in 2009, finished a bachelor's degree in uh, a bachelor's degree in business uh, with an emphasis of management. Mm-hmm. And and then as soon as I graduated, got a phone call. There's this new MDiv program called Create, been offered by Central uh, Seminary. Are you interested? I'm like. Absolutely. <laughs> so now it's been three more years going to school to get my master's of divinity. Um, and then I was going to go for a deep man. I thought, stop. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but no, so my education is, of course, in business and then MDiv. And my mental health work came way of opportunity back in 2005 for this opening for this coordinator of training. And I took it. And it's amazing kind of how I came back to that work because I left uh, the work and went to work for the American Jazz Museum, which if you're ever in Kansas City, you have to go to the American Jazz Museum. Connected to the Jazz Museum is the Negro Baseball League Museum. So they're all in one building. So you you got to go to the Jazz Museum. That's how I worked there for about a year. The executive director of that institution 
uh, went to go work for the largest African-American museum in the country. And when she left, I hung around just for maybe close to maybe six months or so. And um, there were some changes in leadership that was happening. And I thought, I might need to move. And mm-hmm. God always divinely like, speaks to me. I might need to move. And I called my old job up and said, do you have any openings? Uh, and they said, yeah, your old job was available. <laughs> so that I went back to my, um, to my old position. And in 2008, mental health first aid came to the United States. Mm, yeah. So had I not left from the American Jazz Museum, I may not have been in the loop to be this great right. recipient of this great gift called mental health first aid. So with mental health being a theme in your adult life, did you have any exposure or experience or awareness as a young person? Like where did this passion to support or serve come from? You you mentioned the soup kitchen. Uh, is that where the roots are? I started preaching at 16 years old. <laughs> so this year, so I always felt called to serve. Um, and at that time, when I felt this call from God, I thought this means preach the gospel hmm. uh, at 616. This means to preach the gospel. Uh, I later will tell everybody when God calls you, ask God for what? (laughs) 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 What are you calling me for? Because, you know, in my tradition, when you say you were called, typically they put you in the pulpit and you preached. Um, Hmm. But many of us have calls and it is to proclaim the good news, but it could be through various different vehicles. So at 16, I took my call to preach and um, this year, it was in 92. So this year, November of this year will be 30 years in ministry. Wow. So, you know, the mental health piece here is just a natural outgrowth of my desire to to serve, um, you know, my fellow citizens, fellow human beings, uh, which is when I prayed about what am I called to be? And the answer clearly was be the salt of the earth. And so I, I said, what does salt do? And I'm, I create a lot of acronyms and models. And so SALT for me stands for serving, affirming, loving, and transforming individuals mm. and communities. And so That's everything good. I do- That's good. Can you do, say that again? Serving? Yeah, yeah. So everything I do is rooted in service, affirmation, love, and transformation. So I serve, I affirm, I love, I transform individuals and communities. So that's that's what I feel passionate and called to do. And so this work in mental health, um, you know, I, I didn't realize how valuable it would be for me when I have family members dealing with addictions and dealing with mental health challenges. And so when you're growing up, when you see mental health challenges, you just see it as life. Mm-hmm. When you're growing up and you see people using substances, uh, misusing substances, uh, it just becomes how you deal with it. Like if you're stressed out, this is what you do. And you use that as a coping mechanism. And when you're young, the words self-medication don't pop up, <laughs> you know, but when you look back on your childhood and what you saw as a teenager, you begin to realize that what you saw was trauma and depression mm-hmm. and anxiety and self-medication. And because in our community, the African-American community, there's stigma around mental health. We don't call those things illnesses. We don't call those things diseases. We just call that life. Mm. And so when you're able to now identify uh, what this is and then realize that, oh, wait a minute, this is treatable. 
there's like support groups and counseling and medication and other ways to treat these things. And it don't have to just be life. Mm. When was that transition? When did you transition from this is life to learning that this was um, somewhat unhealthy or, or, or trauma, like you said? I think 2008 mental health first aid and Mm. that training was transformative and it changed my life. And I had the distinct honor of training with Betty Kishner, the founder of mental health first aid. We brought her in from Australia in uh, October of 2008. And uh, because we were doing the training and it just wasn't clicking. And she came in, she said, oh, fix this and do this and do that. And so I trained alongside Betty, a colleague in the mines. What an honor. uh, it is. And so she was like, Jermaine should be a national trainer. And that's how I became a national trainer of mental health first aid by way of her recommendation. Uh, and now going into the 14th year of this work, been doing it for 14 years, mental health first aid. So um, mental health first aid was that life changing thing that gave me the language. Because mm. sometimes we don't know how to, we don't know what to call it or what to name it. So mental health first aid gave me the language. And then after that, of course, continue study and just being immersed in different things, learning. Um, so without mental health first day, I don't think I would have been where I am as far as being able to be that educator and ally mm-hmm. to persons with lived experience uh, when it relates to mental health and addictions. Uh, mm-hmm. So now I come alongside you and walk with you through my own lived experience and through that of those who uh, my community. Mm-hmm. So in 2008, you were at doing mental health first aid, um, but I, I got lost in the timeline there a little bit. Was ministry was ministry still the primary uh, your primary work, or when did because you you were a pastor at one point? So I was a pastor. I, I uh, always served in ministry from 16 uh, up to about 20, 2019. Okay. So from, from 1992 to 2019, I was always in some kind of ministerial capacity. But I've been blessed that I've always had multiple things I did outside of just doing ministry. Mm-hmm. So if it wasn't, you know, doing youth programming, uh, and, and my, it's my, my career path is quite interesting. Uh, running youth programs to work for city government and city government doing neighborhood planning work with neighborhood leaders. From there to community organizing. And then from community organizing to mental health. Mm-hmm. So it's it's like youth development work, then there's this neighborhood work, and then there's community organizing, and then mental health in 2005. And from 2005 to present has been this mental health journey along with mm-hmm. ministry. So in 20, um, 2016, it's when I started my work uh, with Pathways to Promise. Mm-hmm. And I was initially hired to be their lead consultant and eventually became the executive director of this faith-based organization that creates mental health ministries. Uh, and of course, we have roughly probably about, now we started off with 14 different denominations and Jewish groups that started uh, Pathways. Now we're down uh, to probably about, um, I wouldn't say like six or seven denominations that are working with us uh, and on the board, but then we have a lot larger reach outside that. But Halfway to Problems of 2016 codified this work in faith communities with regards to mental health ministry mm. and companionship. Mm. So for the past now going will be six years, this year that I've been the ED 
uh, Pathways to Promise. So this journey of mental health first day and, and you know, 2008 and then 20 and eight years later, I'm, I'm going to this faith-based organization and six years later, here I am building a national movement with companionship through Pathways. What a journey. What yeah. <laughs> It's all culminated into this, to this moment. I tell you, I, I've told people um, that it's so important to seize the moment because when you seize the moment, um, then you you never know what opportunities come out of seizing the moment. What moment did you seize? Mental health first aid. Mm. My, I, I, I've said this, and I think it's so important. One yes can change your life. One yes can change your life. Uh, so the exec director, not the exec, he was the president of the organization. Uh, Bill Cowles came to me and said, hey, Jermaine, this program from Australia came, it's coming to the U.S. Missouri is going to be one of the leads. Uh, they have a training up in uh, Vail, Colorado. Do you want to go to it? I said, sure, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Unbeknownst to you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And in July of 2008, I said, sure, yes. And that one yes has changed my life. Mm. Uh, July 2008, yes, got trained, uh, trained with Betty Kitchener in October of 2008. Yeah. And that one, yes, changed my life. So the same thing is true with seminary. Hey, Jermaine, we have a new MDiv program. Are you interested in it? <laughs> sure, yes. <laughs> and my theology uh, was expanded in the ways of the world. I always tell my seminary alumni and the seminary that, they equip me to minister to all people. Mm. And that is phenomenal when you go to an institution that equips you to minister to all people, not just a particular set of people, mm-hmm. but all people. And um, the, tr- the training and the, and the education. I mean, I, we read a book called, uh, <laughs> it was on eco-theology. You're going to have to explain that to me because I don't know, know what that is. <laughs> Eco-theology would be our responsibilities as believers to the environment. Mm, okay. That we we have a responsibility. To steward. Uh, the, to steward yeah. the environment. And so that we're responsible, you know, and so we ought to be good stewards of the gift that God has given us mm. by way of the environment we live in. And I just thought, this, you know, this is not a typical MDF <laughs> program. It, it wasn't. Uh, because it was all about creating leaders to be able to provide global leadership. Mm. And so once again, just one yes can change your life. And of course, one no can change your life too. But uh, but one yes. And so seizing those opportunities in those moments yeah. have been so pivotal uh, in this life. And what I also would tell people is don't let failure uh, don't get stuck in shoulda, coulda, wouldas. Mm. You know, if you fail, that's fine. Learn the lesson and keep moving forward. Um, and so, you know, this past Monday, we celebrated Martin Luther King's uh, birthday. Truly a story of failure, mm. but also a story of someone who kept pressing forward. Mm. Because, I mean, trying to get society to change from what was ingrained in it for centuries and then say, no, we shall overcome. We can do better. We can yes. be a better nation. We can, we can, um, all people are created equal. 
you know, and you know, liberty and and pursuit of happiness and all these words that uh, are so meaningful, but mean nothing if not able to be lived out by his people, right. you know, uh, but through every failure, uh, you learn the lesson and you push forward. And so I just like people to know, like, you know, if you fail, don't give up, just learn and keep moving mm, forward. So good. So good. So 2019, you started at Pathways to Promise. Uh, you, you spoke a little bit about that, but tell me more. What is, uh, what is Pathways to Promise? Yeah, so uh, 2016, um, I'm meeting with the former executive director of Pathways to Promise, Jim Sennheiser, and we talked about being co-executive directors. Mm-hmm. That was the initial plan. Then all of a sudden, I get an email about lead consultant position, uh, and next thing you know, uh, six years later, I'm the ED of the organization, and we are... Um, I love um, our uh, mission statement. And if I could read that, just uh, I really, because I think what it speaks to is hopefully what uh, we can do not only in faith communities, but but, um, we don't relegate ourselves just to organize traditional faith, Any, any group that has faith, spirituality, who desires to affect change for those with mental illness or families, you know, we desire to work with those individuals. And so our mission statement is this, I will, I'll read it. And I love it because uh, it says that we collaborate with faith, spiritual and non-spiritual communities Mm -hmm. to share resources that assess, educate, and affect change. And this is the part I love, to welcome, support, engage, and include persons with mental illnesses and those who care for them. Mm. And our vision is that people living with mental illnesses and those who care for them are welcome and supported in all faith and spiritual communities. And so we have a commitment uh, to to honor diversity, differences and inclusiveness, we have commitment also to be empathic and compassionate. Um, and we also have commitment to be courageous and welcoming with all groups and people. Uh, and that all begins with the importance of promoting, respecting and listening non-judgmentally to persons with mental illnesses and their families. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, that right there is what we aim to do at Pathways by way of our flagship program companionship, mm-hmm. by way of our assessments, by way of other workshops, about really being that hub where we can promote what's good going on as it relates to mental health. And so our, our tagline at Pathways is that we connect mental health, faith, and culture, mm. because we know that culture and faith influences what we how we view mental health absolutely and so if we can talk with people to their culture and to their faith we can equip them to be able to support others and themselves when they have mental health addiction challenges mm, so good so being that you are um, way makers or, or pathway creators to jump off of the name um, and inclusive and have that commitment to diversity and and he- 
and including the voices of those who um, are, struggle with mental health challenges and, and illnesses. What do you see um, the trends or what? how have you seen the landscape being right now when you're talking about faith, mental health, and, and culture? Yeah, so, you know, for this March 2022 will be three years that the world um, came to know COVID-19 as a pandemic. Um, and uh, this is why we've declared this year the year of the companion, because what we know is that not only is COVID-19 a pandemic, but we know that loneliness and isolation is also another endemic uh, that is happening. And the social isolation that was brought even before COVID, before COVID, but now after COVID has shown increased anxiety, Mm -hmm. depression, substance use disorders and other challenges. And a recent Suffolk University poll said that nine in 10 Americans believe that we were in uh, the midst of a mental health crisis. And so what COVID did was illuminated for some people. The reality uh, of it. Yeah, and revealed to others the reality that like depression and anxiety and these other things are not just inside some people's head. And it's not just those people, but all of us have experienced some kind of collective trauma. Mm-hmm. And this collective trauma uh, of not knowing what the next day is going to hold. I mean, I know that for me uh, in 20, um, uh, 20 when COVID happened for probably up until there was a vaccine, I live with the anxiety of, am I next to die? Mm. Cause there was this invisible yeah. virus that was just taking out people. Yeah. And I didn't know if I was going to be next. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, I, I, I want to live to see, you know, mm-hmm. I want to live to, to see my family grow. And, and, and so that just the anxiety, the not knowing, and this wasn't a lack of faith. This wasn't a lack of trusting God. Mm-hmm. This wasn't a lack of hope or any of those things. It was the reality that around me, people are dying. Um, and so, yeah, around us before COVID, people were dying around yeah. us. But what COVID did was it put this uncertainty. Yeah. Uh, and so I always say that um, concern is rooted in facts, but worry is often rooted in uncertainty. Mm. So I'm concerned about a lot of things in life because the facts say this. Right. The facts say as a black man uh, growing up in the city I grew up in, that I shouldn't be here. That's what the facts yeah. said. You know, the facts said I should probably be a drug addict or in prison. Uh, that's what the facts said. So those what that's what you know that's concerning, um, but thankfully I've been able with the help of many people to beat those odds. Uh, but worry is rooted in the unknown, right. what we cannot see, and that's what COVID nineteen has done. Like for people with jobs and food, and I mean there's such insecurity mm-hmm. in the world, and so I think that in this right now we are positioned as faith communities to be able to address the facts 
These are the yeah. facts on the ground. This is the reality on the ground. So you should be concerned about this. And this is how we can work with you to help with those, those concerns. Now, we can't promise you tomorrow. Right. So therefore, we're not going to worry about tomorrow. But we're going to work on what we can do today. Right. And so I think Pathways can equip people by way of companionship, by way of other trainings that we offer to support people in the now, right? In this right now moment. Mm. It's validating people's concern. It's not dismissive or saying, well, you don't have faith. You, that's not reasonable. Mm-hmm. Like you just need to pray more. It is actually validating people's concerns and, and, and their worries. Well, their concerns and, and then helping them take steps towards, you know, overcoming or, or, or dealing with those. Yeah. And I think that, you know, what happens is, is that, you know, if I'm concerned about how we're going to eat tomorrow, that's valid. Mm-hmm. It's not lack of faith. If I'm concerned about, can I, can I pay the rent so that we don't become unsheltered? Mm-hmm. That's a valid concern. Mm-hmm. Um, so we don't be dismissive and say, well, just pray about mm-hmm. that or just trust God about that. No. What kind of programs can we build a circle of care support for people so that those concerns don't become worries because we've addressed the concern. Right, right. And so I, I think that that becomes the importance because uh, there are three that bear record, faith, hope, mm-hmm. and love. And the one that's going to remain is love. Because I always tell people, when you meet God, you don't need faith anymore. <laughs> When you meet God, you don't need hope anymore. Right. You're in the presence of that which you believed would that you would. So that you don't need that. So if God is love, that means when you finally are in that space, you will be face to face with love. But the great thing is we have been endowed with love. And that is the greatest characteristic of those people of faith mm-hmm. is how we love each other and how we love the God we serve. Yeah. And so that to me is by doing, becoming educated, uh, increasing your mental health literacy and by reducing stigma and hopefully eliminating stigma is how do you show that love to your sister, to your brother, Mm -hmm. to that person who's experiencing that isolation, that distress, that suffering. And one of the things I always point out is people with mental health challenges and addictions don't want to be seen as sitting around just suffering all Mm -hmm. day. They are experiencing distress like you experience distress. They're experiencing isolation like you experience isolation. And all they need is somebody to come alongside and walk with them. Not do it for them, but walk with them. And so I'm I'm excited about being able to do this work. It is what I wake up every day excited to do. So I'm blessed and fortunate to do this. I love it. I love it. And that's what Pathways to Promise, you created this companionship program that equips churches to be able to do this work, right? Yeah. You know, it's amazing that companionship is as old as Pathways is. (laughs) So uh, Pathways was started back in 1988 and the companionship movement uh, was started uh, back in 1987 by Reverend Craig Rennebaum. He was on the streets of Seattle uh, doing ministry and outreach to persons who were living uh, homeless and struggling with serious mental health issues. And so over the last 30 years, not only have we expanded uh, companionship, which began in Seattle, but now has moved 
to probably over 14 states now by way of our expansion. Uh, I think that was my last count was about 14 states. And companionship, what I love about it, here are here are some of the principles of companionship. And, and let's see if you resonate with any of those principles. The first one is companionship is a basic human relationship between two equals. Mm, that's so good. I often talk about the need for belonging, and that is so yes. true. And companionship is a response to those who are in distress or those who may be suffering. And it's not about fixing mm. it. And I think that is so important. And then the third principle is that companionship is a public relationship. And so it's done in community because we believe crisis is an opportunity for community. Mm, crisis is an opportunity for community. Ooh, I, I love that. Because if you are walking with a person in community, what you, can, what you create is an interdependence and not a dependence. Mm. What's the difference? So... The difference is, is that when I'm dependent upon you, I see you as my only source. But if we have interdependency, that means I have support from multiple people. And that prevents compassion fatigue, prevents burnout, prevents misuse, because the person is, what we're trying to do is, our, our other goal is this, companionship aims for reality, but the last one is, Companionship recognizes our need for a circle of care and support. So that interdependence is when we create that circle of care for the individual restoring relationships and creating relationships so that they're no longer relying just upon themselves, but the broader community. Mm, so good. And so what we do is we train uh, individuals in five practices, which are hospitality, where we seek to establish a space that's sacred in the personal sense for the individual. Mm. So how do we create a space where people feel welcome? Mm, safe. Um, and yeah, safe, yeah. And then the other practice is neighboring because what we know is, is that the soul thrives not in isolation, but in community. And so when we neighbor, we set aside our power and our privilege and we meet each other as mm. equals. And so, when, when somebody, when I say to somebody, hey, my name is Jermaine, versus my name is Reverend Jermaine Alberti, and I have an MDiv. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm just like, no, my name is Jermaine. What's your name? What would you like for me to call you? And then they say, well, my name is, you know, uh, Laura. And, oh, hey, Laura, how, well, how's it going? You know, and really been able to have a discussion about those things that make us common, mm. that the commonalities that make us human. Um, and that's that whole idea of uh, sharing the journey side by side. Because what we do there is we avoid pushing people and pulling people and imposing our will or priorities, but we see the world together. Mm. And we acknowledge our different backgrounds and our viewpoints. And we walk together. And you do that by listening to the person, listening to their soul story. And that, that's the fourth practice is listening. But the fifth one is a compliment. Mm -hmm. And that is where we are coming back to that supporting the individual by connecting them with the community resources and then help them build that circle of care. And so we're not social workers. We're not case managers. We're not therapists. We're not any of those, those things when we're companioning. And even if we are those things, we set aside those things to just meet that person as human to human. Mm. You're really equipping the everyday person to provide 
support, companionship, and building community. It's taking away the barriers of having to be a professional or educated or a reverend or or any other name or or category you want to add in there, but saying, you know, you too, anyone is able to come alongside and create this safe place to walk alongside with someone. Yeah, I just had a meeting this morning with somebody uh, who wanted to create a support group and their uh, Catholic parish. And uh, we were talking and he said, so do you want to know about my education? I said, no. <laughs> and he said, you don't? I said, no. I said, what you possess is beyond education, passion. Yeah. You have a passion for this work. And by way of your lived experience, you can share with those who have lived experience and those who don't have lived experience, why it's so important to support each other with mental health and HIV. So, you know, it was so, to me, I felt like it doesn't matter if you have a bachelor's, a GED, a PhD, it doesn't matter. If you have a passion and a concern and a love for others, you can do companionship. Mm. Mm. You can companion another person. And it's it, and it's a difference between caregiving and companionship. Mm, talk about that a bit. Well, I think caregivers take on the weight of those who they care mm. for. And in companionship, what we talk about is the whole idea is that compassion is coming alongside the person in the midst of their pain. Mm. Not taking it on their pain, mm. but coming alongside them in the midst of it and walking with them in that. So I don't take on your pain, yeah. but I come alongside you. And so oftentimes we're driven by sympathy and empathy. Yep. Sympathy, empathy, and compassion then causes us to act on that sympathy or that empathy. So instead of saying, I feel so sorry for you, or instead of saying, I can only imagine what it would be like to be experiencing what you're experiencing, I come alongside you through compassion. And I just, I'm just with you in the midst of that, that pain. And I'm with you as long as you need me to be with you. And I respect your autonomy. I, I, I respect you, your dignity. And so if you say not today, I go, okay. Yeah. If I can make the commitment and limits and boundaries are very important <laughs> in companionship. We teach people these six words. I am not able to do that. We teach them those six. I am not able to do that. Yes. That's limits and boundaries. Yeah. And we say, say it without apology. Yes. And so I get different groups that say, well, I can't say that. I don't care if you can't say that. Say it however say it however you want to say it. I don't care. You could say, I'm not gonna do that. You could say <laughs> never gonna do it. I don't care how you say it. It's about limits, it's about boundaries. And we often say it's about pick, putting up a, a picket fence where you can see the person over the fence. So it's not a wall, mm-hmm. it's a it's a picket fence. You can see the person over the fence and you choose to let them in yeah. the in. Yeah, there's gates to fences. So, but yeah. but you have to open those gates. So you need permission yeah. to come inside. Yeah, that's right. So you choose, you choose through limits and boundaries uh, how much you take on as a companion. Mm. And I think that as we build these companionship ministry teams, as we as we expand, uh, and one of the things I've been moving more toward to equalize mental illness is simply saying. Let's create wellness programs mm, so good. because wellness programs are holistic. And we look at your physical well-being, your spiritual well-being, your mental well-being, looking at your well-being across the board yeah. and being able to say, how do we support the whole person 
and not a part of the person. Because they're integrated, right? Yeah. They are. They are all integrated, you know? And so, you know, mental health is health. It's not some separated thing, you know? It's like your brain is not in... (laughs) uh, Well, this is... It's, it's, it's interesting because in Futurama, this cartoon, I'm not sure if you ever heard of it. <laughs> they have these heads in these jars. <laughs> so like the person's head is not connected to the body. It's like just a head in a jar. <laughs> and Richard Nixon's in Somebody go like, this pastor is watching Futurama. It, I, I, yeah, it's an interesting show. But um, in the future, just just people come back in their heads and jars. That is not the future I hope for. Uh, because you're more than just your head, yeah. you know, you are a full person yes. and uh, you can, you, you are a full person and it's not just about your head. Uh, a lot of folks don't realize that the uh, chemicals in your gut mm. have a greater influence on your mood uh, than those in your head often. Mm. So those gut chemicals altered mood also. And so it's not just your gut, it's your gut, it's your head, it's all those different chemicals that influence mood and behavior. And so if we treat people as whole persons and not segmented people, you know, like this is, this is who you are, which is why person first language is so important. I'm not bipolar. I'm not schizophrenic. I'm not depressed. I live with these illnesses, but they don't define who I am. So good. Oh, so good. So who, who you mentioned that you want to develop um, mental health ministries, like in equip ministries to be able to do this. Is this churches or individuals or, or both? Both. Most of the time, uh, a ministry is started by someone who has passion for it. And when we say at Pathways, it's, that's great. But you have to have buy-in from those around you it could be an individual work and that's perfectly fine. But if you want to create a wellness program or a wellness ministry or mental health ministry, you want to have like-minded people. Mm. And that often begins with assessing and doing a climate survey of some kind. What's your perception about mental illness? Yeah. What kind of education could be helped? So we do the assessing, then we educate. And then we, from education, then we form some kind of mental health ministry or wellness program to sustain the work. Mm. And so it often begins with somebody who has that passion to do it. And then we say, okay, let's assess the group that you want to work with. And from there, create a plan to begin begin to say, do you want a support group? Do you want to do an annual event? Do you want to have a monthly event? Um, How do we change language from that sacred space? Mm. It's so important. And sermons, and liturgy, and songs, uh, and prayer requests. How do we change the language so that somebody hears, Lord, we pray for those with schizophrenia. Mm. We pray for those with anxiety. We pray for those with bipolar. We lift them up, grant them peace, grant them comfort. Yes. Imagine if that's what I'm living with, and I hear my illness in the prayers of those who are praying. Because we hear about pray for those with cancer, right. pray with those with heart disease, pray with those. So when you hear your illness lifted up in that sacred place, and that's my illness, and the community is praying for me and my illness, it changes the whole dynamic. Yes. Uh, and so I think that, you know, so that is the part of, it's often driven by individuals, driven by groups. And so we want to train all those people who have this passion. Hmm. Uh, to do do this great work. That's good. So how is it different from maybe um, 
other small groups or 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 other tell me how it differ it differs from say doing a small group program yeah so what we say about companionship is it's intended to enhance not replace so most folks are companioning and don't know they're companioning <laughs> so they're already doing it what companionship does is provide a framework some practice mm. some principles and once they have that framework with regards to, okay, so here's hospitality, here's listing, here's some principles, then it enhances what they're doing if it's Stephen's ministry or if, it, if it's Celebrate Recovery or if it's, uh, you know, some other kind of thing that they're doing. These skills are intended to enhance those things, not replace those mm-hmm. things. Uh, and so I often encourage folks to uh, get trained in a cluster of different trainings to help support that. Uh, and we're never supplanting the professional. We are um, supporting the person and sometimes connecting them with professionals. So we're not trying to replace the therapist or the counselor or the psychiatrist or the psychologist. No, we're providing the support people need when they get professional help. So if you remember mental health first aid, anything about mental health first aid, <laughs> which I know you do, there's those two E's, mm-hmm. encourage appropriate professional help. Mm-hmm. And then encourage self-help and other support strategies. Mm. That's where companionship comes in. Other support strategies. That's what Stephen Ministry is. Other support strategy. So um, we want to connect folks to mental health first aid, to other trainings out there, to assist, to QPR. All those trainings. Get them, get them training everything they need. <laughs> to be supportive of those persons with those challenges. That's awesome. So where can people find out more information or reach out to get um, connected? So they can visit our website, uh, pathways2promise.org, or they can learn more about the companionship movement uh, at thecompanionshipmovement.org. And we'll have all those links in the show notes as well. Yeah, yeah. So they can go learn more about that. There's a link on the page that says uh, at the very bottom of our website that if you want to schedule an appointment with me to talk about more, that link is connected to my booking link. And so you have direct access to like, here's the schedule. And you can schedule a time to meet uh, with me and one of my team. <laughs> Careful now, you're going to fill that link up. <laughs> well, yeah, you know, you want to hear from people. We want to hear from people. We want to help. Um, and we are a small nonprofit with a big heart. Mm. Uh, and so, um, you know, I believe in partnership, which is why I've loved working with you and what you're doing. And so I think the more we partner together, that we are stronger together than we ever will be apart. I 100% believe that you and I do very similar things. And we are both passionate about equipping um, peers and lay leaders and communities to support mental health. And, and so I love that. I love that, you know, we can connect and we can collaborate and we can partner together because we need a lot more voices in this space. There's a lot more room for people to help. There's so much room. And I think that I always tell people there is no need for competition. Mm, so good. Um, because collectively, mm-hmm. if we come together, we would still not stump out <laughs> mental illness. One in five people in the U.S. we know in any given year can have a mental illness. One in five. Mm. Um, and, and unfortunately, mental illness and addictions is not going anywhere as long as we have a human being in. Yeah. But what we can do is equip people to support those individuals 
with those mental health and addiction challenges. And, um, you know, I think that the good news is, is that as we continue to uh, decrease and eliminate stigma, um, the more people will feel open enough to come out and say, that's me. Mm. And I need your help. Yeah, so good. So knowing what you know today, what would you tell your past self? Um, yeah, what would you tell your past self knowing what you know today? You don't have to be everything to everybody. It's mm, wise. And that practice makes better, not perfect. It's mm, good. And so don't worry about trying to be perfect. Just concern yourself with getting better. Hey, thanks for listening. I encourage you to put what you've heard into action. How are you going to be intentional about building a culture of care for both yourself and for others in your church? And if you like what you've heard today and it was helpful, I would love it if you could write a review. This will help others find the podcast more easily. And don't forget to subscribe. Thanks for connecting. Take care.